Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I don't just believe shit I hear on podcasts, and you shouldn't either. Please be skeptical and confirm information before sharing it. Please also be advised that I do swear and I don't take the time to bleep it out. So listener discretion is advised. Very serious situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Happy New Year! I'm Ruby, and this is episode 52 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. I hope everyone stayed safe and healthy and ate good food over the holiday season. I was spoiled with some new winter walking gear for my son, a D&D scarf and hat set. It's gray, black, and white, and it's perfect, and will get a ton of use almost every day, every winter. We pretty much cancelled Christmas and New Year's plans for the most part once again. Though this year we did see my mom and Paul's dad. And I finally got to see Spider-Man. With New Year's plans cancelled, I figured we'd go as a family to see the movie New Year's Day. Interesting how they're selling by assigned seats now. Things have changed a lot since I was last out at a movie. Anyways, on with the show. If you've listened before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time joining me, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. So book burnings are becoming a thing again. Just two months ago. What the fuck? And as reasonable people were out crying the fascism of it all, U.S. conservatives openly endorsed it. Spotsylvania County School Board directed their staff to begin removing a ridiculous amount of books from the school library. Removing them wasn't enough, however. Kirk Twig wanted to, quote, eradicate this bad stuff, unquote. Wow. Just Fucking wow. This bad stuff. What do he and his cohorts consider bad stuff? Anything that doesn't fit with their personal religious beliefs and anything that might make a child feel bad. Oh, boo-hoo. Can you believe that these are the same people who like to call others snowflakes? They don't even have the intelligence to see the absolute hypocrisy of a life that they are living. These are also the people who cry free speech when a private company enforces its restrictions as it has the right to do. And here they are burning books with no clue what incredible hypocrites they're revealing themselves to be. One has to feel sorry for the children of these totalitarians who end up being LGBTQ. They may never be able to come out and maintain close relationships with their parents, and that's bloody sad. It's sad that anyone's belief system would turn them against their own children. Other than misguided belief systems, those who burn books tend to be totalitarian governments, regimes, fascist theocracies. Jerome Weedman, previously head of the Authors League of America, used the words mindless and primitive to describe the Slaughterhouse Five book burnings in 1973. A mindless, primitive act of censorship. That description fit then and it fits today. Book burning is mindless, it's primitive, it's censorship. The American Civil Liberties Union called it an arbitrary, capricious, and subjective violation of free speech. To me, subjective is the key word there. These bans and burnings are all subjective to a few individuals' points of view. Everyone in these districts is being subjected to the opinions of a few fragile people because their delicate belief system has brainwashed them to the point where they can't handle their kids having access to real-world things like sex ed and books that might show them that even if they are different, they're still normal and still deserving and still good because they are. And to take away 
everything that might give them that glimpse of hope in their lives is downright evil. I'm sure it won't surprise you all that Texas Governor Greg Abbott got in on this too. He issued an executive order. State educational officials were to review books for pornography and other obscene content. Are you kidding me? This is so completely subjective. He doesn't define what is considered obscene. Two guys holding hands can be seen as obscene to these ignorant bigots. Book burning is for dictators and repressors. The destruction of and or gatekeeping of knowledge is one of the most oppressive of acts. It's what I would expect to hear about in the Middle East in this day and age, but until recently, not in North America. Of course, those doing the burning say that's an exaggeration. They're not fascist. Yeah, they just don't want kids to have access to things they personally do not like, and rather than donate them to a small used book business or a public library, definitely burn them. But no, not fascist. So absurd. But of course, they have to deny it. Their goal is to end democracy and equality in the U.S., but they can't outright say that. Actions speak loud and clear, however. Only totalitarian governments burn books, and today's Republicans appear to be all for it. But they are only thinking about the children. Yeah, right. Think about it for just one minute. How many of these people who are defending the book burnings as being for the children let their kids have phones and untethered access to television and or movies? If it were really about saving the fucking children from having access to these things, those phones and fire sticks would be taken away and burned as well. Yet nobody is talking about doing that. That's because it never was about saving any children from anything. It's about control. It's about the power to oppress what they don't like. And the great majority of it so far has been either religiously based or racist based. The book ban in Pennsylvania that went on for about a year before being called back this September contained almost exclusively books by or about people of color. If you believe them when they smooth talk the fascism statements and insist they're uncalled for, then you're a part of the naive base they're aiming for. Don't support book burning. If you value your freedom, do not vote for anyone who ever promotes or defends book burning. Don't give people that kind of control over you and your children. Fuck book burning and be skeptical, damn it. A while back, I mentioned hearing things about trees not being the best option for offsetting emissions. I've looked further into it and it's, it's not that trees are not good. It's just that the one for one credit corporations are getting is completely inadequate. That and trees just aren't enough at this point. We've let it get way too bad to actually be dependent on them for cleaning our air. That's not all they do, however. They are still very important natural providers of shade, homes, food, and more for different animals and insects, and they play a major role in the shaping and maintaining of local ecosystems. Replenishing does matter. If a company cuts down a thousand trees, then it should have to replace them. But make it right. A straight 1,000 for 1,000 won't do it. Planters have to be taught to do things properly, and if they don't, the planted tree may not make it a year. The percentage of trees that do not make it past the five-year mark should be taken into account when calculating offsetting costs. Who the corporations are making their offsetting contributions to should also be looked into when their offset credit is being evaluated. There are several tree planting companies which do not plant more than one type of tree, and there are some that even plant improperly or immorally. If the planting group doesn't disclose what kind of trees they are planting, then there may be something more to look into there. We should only be accepting tree planting for offsetting credits if they are going to tree planting groups with a commitment to planting native species only. 
If a company does not take great care with where they plant, there is the possibility of doing harm to the local ecosystem rather than benefiting it. Any tree in any place is not necessarily a good thing. Other things need to be considered. Looking into this got me asking these questions of One Tree Planted, the company I'm paired up with at this time. I knew that they planted all over the world, and I can choose where the trees I buy are planted, but I never thought to ask what kinds of trees are planted, or if one's chosen location will change the type of tree. I feel kind of silly for never thinking about that now. I am happy to report that One Tree Planted does indeed have a variety of trees available to make sure the proper trees go to the proper ecosystems. In fact, when you look up trees on their page, it tells you what location options are available for each. I thought that was pretty good. I also did some searching for their name on lists showing bad reviews for tree planting groups and didn't find them on a single one. So far they appear to really take tree planting and all of its nuances very seriously. But I can't consume everything out there, right? So if you or someone you know does have information about One Tree Planted that I did not come across, please let me know. I can be emailed at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. These air scrubbers that are popping up around the world, I talked a bit about some of them on an episode last year. That's where these companies need to be putting their money if it's actually going to make a difference. Either that, or give them credit for, say, three out of every five trees they pay to plant. Something has to change. When offsetting via tree planting, these companies are not actually offsetting what they get to claim. Upon reflection, I've come to the conclusion that, yes, tree planting is not a good method for corporations to use for offsetting their emissions, but it's still good to plant trees, and I'm not specifically trying to offset anything. And so far, the company I've chosen seems to be doing things properly. Again, if you have information to the contrary, please let me know. For now, tree planting will remain a part of the Living Through Extinction Patreon. Along with the gifts, of course. I finally took some time to look a bit into bear bile farming. I knew this one was going to piss me off. Bile bears, also sometimes called battery bears, are basically tortured sun and moon bears, most commonly farmed for their bile in Southeast Asia. The bears on these farms in Vietnam and China suffer cruelty and pain for their entire lives. And those lives are actually longer in captivity, making their suffering even more extended. These bears are severely damaged both physically and mentally and suffer from long-term health problems for this extended torturous life. We're talking up to 30 continuous years of constant pain and suffering, starvation, dehydration, and disease. One Green Planet claims to have come across bears raised in cages that were so small, their bodies had actually contorted in order to fit in the bars. They also claim that most of the bears they witnessed had very few teeth as a result of trying to chew through bars. The processes they are using to obtain the bile are completely inhumane, evil even. A steel or perspex tube is inserted through the bear's abdomen and into the gallbladder, where it remains indefinitely. Uh, the perspex is the type of plastic, by the way. The tube is used to extract 10 to 20 milliliters of bile twice a day. People cry out, it's been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. So? Traditional Chinese medicine uses it for epilepsy, hemorrhoids, and heart pain, and it does nothing for any of these things. It's also marketed as a cure for cancer, colds, hangovers, and more. And there has never been any evidence of any of that being true either. Now there is one actual legit medical use. It was discovered in the 1900s that it can be used to treat gallstones and liver disease. But guess what? There's a cruelty-free way to obtain it for these purposes. So why is this inhumane farming method still going on? A synthetic alternative developed by a pharmaceutical company even exists today. 
This synthetic is usable for medicine in the same way that the bear bile is usable. There is zero reason for bear bile farming to continue. It's disgusting. It's cruel. It's unnecessary. If there was ever a farming practice that should be shut down worldwide, this is it. Today's research segment is rather brief. I would like to call your attention to hempcrete as a building material, especially if you're looking to build in the near future. Insulating materials, both for residential and commercial buildings, stayed the same for decades, and most of these materials actually have serious impacts on the environment and even our health. There are many benefits to hempcrete as an alternative that I'll get into in a minute, but first, what is it exactly? It's an insulating material with superior thermal, structural, and moisture handling properties made from a biofiber, a binder, and some water. Hemp herds as the biofiber are environmentally ideal as they are the discarded center part of the stock which is not used in hemp fiber production. If the herds are sourced from a fiber company, then we're not even adding to the amount of land use. It's already there, discarded as a byproduct by the hemp fiber producers. How perfect is that? The binder tends to be lime. It's mixed with the herds and water is blended in. This ensures that every millimeter of the herds is coated with the binder and also acts as a reactor with the lime, allowing it to glue the herd particles together. When the mixture has set and cured and all of the water has evaporated out of it, the hardened product is called hempcrete. Unlike concrete, mortar, or plaster, hempcrete has empty space within it. The herds are attached to each other, but not compressed together. This apparently adds to the thermal performance. Using the same three ingredients, but with different variables, hempcrete can be used as roof, wall, or slab insulation. The hemp herd has a range of sizes, gratings, as well as a range of volumes and lengths to the hemp fibers. The binder, lime, which has been used in construction for thousands of years, also has different grades with different additives. And of course, the amount of water added can change things as well. Depending on the herd lime and water choices, the setting time, density, strength, and thermal abilities can all be affected, so the producers do need to know what they're doing. There are so many benefits with hempcrete that it's kind of hard to decide where to begin. As I mentioned earlier, it can be made from the waste of hemp fiber producers, but even for those that have their own fields, hemp has incredibly high annual yields. Apparently no other plant is known to provide as much volume per acre as hemp. It is a very renewable and accessible product. The cost is also comparable with other products. If building within Canada, it's very affordable as long as you're sourcing from Canadian companies. If you are looking to have it shipped from some other country, then cost will go way up. Also, knowing that it's used successfully where I live shows its thermal capabilities. We have extremes in both summer and winter here. Unlike other plant fiber insulations which have been tested, hempcrete maintains its integrity in high humidity conditions, making it a great choice for very humid climates. Unlike other insulating materials, hempcrete will add structure to a building. The amount of weight each stud can hold is increased three to four times when hempcrete is used over traditional materials. The lime binder is high in pH, make it inherently antimicrobial and antifungal. This is why it's so important to completely coat every fiber of hurt. The lime coating creates a resistance to mold in conditions which would cause mold in other products. Once installed, cured, and dry, there are no toxins released into the indoor or outdoor environment by hempcrete. Farming hemp uses far fewer pesticides and herbicides than other grains or fiber crops, and harvesting and processing is done without heat and without chemicals. And finally, there's the carbon storage. Dried hemp can store carbon dioxide, keeping it out of our atmosphere. This part I'd never really thought about. 
talk about a bonus. There's an example given at greenbuildingcanada.ca, taking into consideration 200,000 new homes being built each year at an average of 2,000 square feet each. If they were all insulated to code with hempcrete, almost a million tons of carbon could be sequestered annually. Using the same numbers with fiberglass insulation would put out over 200,000 tons in the creation of it. That is quite the annual difference. If bringing emissions down is our long-term goal, and it should be, then hempcrete is one more way we can make headway on that. If we care at all about future generations, we should be working on making this alternative the norm going forward. It will not always be the perfect material for every project, but if it's used where and when it can be, we'll at least be doing better. Today I would like to call your attention to another great organization, the Secular Therapy Project. I believe I made brief mention of them when I discussed the clergy project on episode 46. When religious leaders come out of their beliefs and seek help from the clergy project, part of the help they receive is therapy if required. And this is provided to them through the Secular Therapy Project. A lot of these groups work together for the greater good. I've had a skeptic site on Facebook and Instagram since around 2016. Of the 400 and some posts in that Instagram account, I only ever received a private message thank you for one. That one? was about the importance of secular therapy. I had a comment under that post by another individual stating that they knew from experience how important it was. The private message went a bit further though, saying that they never see anything promoting secular therapy and it's so important to know what you're getting into. Apparently they had invested time and money into a therapist only to have that therapist begin taking a religious approach to treatment a few months in. They had to start all over and were concerned it might just recur so had been putting off trying again. The importance of access to secular therapy is something I've always seen as important. I forget sometimes that the existence of the Secular Therapy Project is not something everyone knows about. I hear about it at least weekly in the different shows I follow. And so I forget that most people I run into probably never heard about it. That individual who reached out to thank me, they had never heard of it. Yet here they were putting off treatment because they were afraid of having another experience with a religious-based therapist. I did send them the link and they thanked me and I never heard from them again. No idea where they were located, but I really hope they were able to find someone near them with the help of the Secular Therapy Project. I like to think that maybe, just maybe, I helped someone there. The Secular Therapy Project was set up as a part of Recovering from Religion, another group I'll have to do a segment on at some point. Dr. Daryl Ray was the founder. He was hearing story after story, not unlike the one I just shared with you. People were repeatedly seeking help from mental professionals only to find out several sessions in that the professional was spiritual, religious, or had new age ideas they were pushing onto their clients. Some of these clients were victims of religious trauma and having their therapist suddenly take a religious approach was potentially very damaging to them. Dr. Daryl Ray saw this danger and took it upon himself to look further into the issue. And his investigations revealed to him that it was actually very difficult to find secular therapists who used evidence-based methods with clients. So he did something about it, and the Secular Therapy Project went live in April of 2012. They have been helping people find secular, evidence-based treatments ever since. Their purpose? Quote, to help connect non-religious or secular persons who need mental health services with outstanding mental professionals, such as psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, and others. Unquote. The therapists registered with them, they are very carefully screened to ensure that they are appropriately licensed in their state or country, that they are secular in nature as well as practice, and that they, quote, use evidence-based treatments which have been shown to be effective at helping improve mental health problems in controlled clinical trials, unquote. And that last part is probably why I love them so much. 
they also ensure that, quote, not only will our therapists not try to preach to you or convert you, but they are also using the most well-supported types of treatments to help you. This group is all good. If you are a licensed, secular, evidence-based therapist anywhere in the world, please apply to be registered with the Secular Therapy Project so that people in your area who really need secular therapy can find you. And if you are a patient looking for a secular therapist, go explore seculartherapy.org to see if there are some registered near you. I hope this segment helps somebody. First episode of the new year done. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro outro for the show. And thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 53 of Living Through Extinction. Here in Hawaii earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisted.